Grace and peace to you guys. It's good to be with you. Kiddos, you're going to be in here with us today, but I do have a joke for you as I rearrange my sermon pages that I forgot to order correctly. Um, I, how many of you guys this week, kiddos, ate some turkey? Anybody? Anybody? A few of you? I see those scattering of hands. There you go. So, I have, my joke is about turkeys. You ready? Why did the band invite the turkey to join them? Why? What do you think? He had the best drumsticks. Good job. Good job. It must have been a turkey named Devin, I think. What do you think? Well, it's good to be back with you guys this week. Uh, Pastor Debbie brought you the word last week. We're always grateful for her leadership and for Bill's leadership and worship as well. Uh, we've already mentioned it several times, but in case you haven't noticed, it ain't Advent yet. Don't be fooled by the Christmas tree in the foyer. I know many times you come back from Thanksgiving and this whole place is like a glow with Christmas lights, right? And trees, the whole bit. Uh, but let me just tell you, it is so much easier for the staff when there's this week of this gap space between Thanksgiving and the start of Advent. It's delightful because we don't have to rush in here on Saturday and set up all the trees, right? Um, but for whatever reason, the way the calendar worked this year, the Christian calendar, there's this kind of bye week between Thanksgiving and Advent, right? And so we are really going to throw ourselves fully into the celebration of Christ the King Sunday. Now, believe it or not, Tommy and I are about to finish our third year with you guys here at this church. And yeah, we love it. It's Idaho, right? Um, but the pastors before us, Brent and Dustin and Olivia, they did the same thing. Um, but we really, really, and so if you don't know three years into this, plus them before us, you haven't been paying attention, that we are so committed to shaping our corporate life together, the body of Christ, around something called the liturgical calendar, the seasons of the church. Now, the secular calendar, the calendar that you get at the store that has like all the holidays pre-printed on them, it's pretty straightforward, right? How does the, the American life go? It starts New Year's, New Year's, uh, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, right? Uh, Super Bowl Sunday, the High Holy Day, okay? Um, Martin Luther King Day, uh, Groundhog's Day, which, okay, that's not really a holiday, but we're all just so depressed by winter, we just need something to celebrate, I think, frankly, right? Plus, it's Tommy's birthday. And then uh, Valentine's Day, and then St. Patrick's Day, which used to be a holy day, but now it's just a reason to drink uh, green beer. And then there's Easter, which, again, is a holy day for us, but secularly, it's, there's a bunny involved and some chocolate. Um, and then there's Memorial Day, 4th of July, Labor Day, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and woo, we start over again. Did I miss any? I think that covers all the main holidays. Did I get them all? Now, that is how American life is shaped. It is shaped around those celebrations and those holy days and those seasonal candies, right? The uh, Reese's eggs or the Cadbury eggs or the candy canes, you get it, right? We are shaped by those celebrations, those days. But as we are reminded week in and week out, as we come to this place, before we are American, before I am white, before I am any other race, before I am any of these things, before I am anything at all, I am Christian. We are Christian. And it is our deepest desire that we be corporately shaped more by the story of Jesus than by the story of culture. We want our lives to be so marked and moved and oriented around the story of God and God's saving action to the person of Jesus, that that determines our life, our calendar. Now, the story of the life of Jesus is kind of shaped like one of those crazy you things. You know that snowboarders used during the Olympics the half pipe, 
right? I Googled it because I'm not a snowboarder, right? And uh, Winter Olympics are on the brain. They're coming soon. Now, this is what the story of Jesus is like. Starts really a high point, right? In heaven, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Trinity. Ah, awesome, right? And then the incarnation. He takes on flesh. He comes and lives amongst us. He, he embodies that kingdom of God living, living as fully human and fully divine, but with hair and warts and boogers, the whole bit. He is a person. He is flesh. And yet he didn't just come to live as a human. He came to die as a human. And so we go all the way down the half pipe to the bottom where Jesus is crucified, the death of a criminal. But little did Satan know. He was just gaining speed for what was coming. The resurrection, the ascension to the Father as he awaits the time where he will be crowned king, the coronation, the pinnacle of the Christian calendar when all kings will surrender their crowns and our true king will finally be named rightly. And that pinnacle, that tippy top, that all things set right moment is what we anticipate, what we lean toward, what we celebrate today on Christ the King Sunday. But the thing is, if we're really honest, this whole coronation of Jesus thing, it doesn't feel all that real to us sometimes. It can sometimes feel like one of those far-off things that preachers talk about, like one of those future theological happenings that is definitely important, but kind of fuzzy, right? Because first of all, let's be honest, coronations, all that I know about coronations comes from BBC TV right? Coronations, not really in the American wheelhouse. That's not how we roll here, right? And so the whole idea of this kingship is kind of a foreign concept to us. But also, be honest, most of the talk that we hear in the, in the church about Jesus as king references spiritual stuff. And by spiritual, I mean not of this earth. You know, we think about Jesus' encounter with Pilate, and Pilate says, so are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. And our mind immediately goes to the kingdom in the clouds type stuff. Not something that actually would happen in Idaho, right? Now, if you remember our conversations from way back, two weeks ago, to 1 Thessalonians 4, you remember that that version of events of just some kingdom off in the clouds doesn't jive with scripture. It's not a, hey, come on up to the clouds where I'm king. No, it's a, hey, I'm King Jesus and I'm coming down, ready or not, right? To heal and restore and set right God's kingdom, the city of God, come down like in Revelation 21. And it's this powerful image, a powerful promise so this whole, it's just a spiritual kingdom, it's not going to cut it. But even that, even our own confusion about the spiritual and the earth, all that stuff, I don't even think that is the main reason why this whole Christ the King Sunday isn't the top of our list of days to celebrate and anticipate. Because I suspect, at least for me, that the reason is a little more earthy, a little more uh, down-to-earth, less theological. You see, we get we get it in our heads. Christ is king. Jesus is king. And he's, he's actually king of creation, not just in some far-off place. We get that he is king of creation here and now. We get that he has promised to return and set things right and that he will reign fully. But yet, here's the rub. If Jesus is king, why do I hurt if Jesus is king, why do I ache? If Jesus is king, why the sickness? If Jesus is king, why evil? 
it's hard to reconcile the reality that Jesus is king with the reality of my bank account or the reality of my estranged family or the reality of my terminally ill spouse or the reality of sitting at a funeral of a young mom of four boys. It is hard to reconcile the reality that Jesus is king when you turn on the news and 300 people are dead in Egypt by terrorism. It's like that old hymn that says, the wrong seems oft so strong. It seems mighty strong, doesn't it? So how do I talk about Christ the king with all that stuff in my face day in and day out? It's that disconnect, you know? that disjointed feeling that pushes us in one of two directions. The first is, you know what? We just dismiss this idea of Jesus actually being king of creation, and we just go with the king of our hearts thing. (laughs) We spiritualize it, and we reduce salvation from this creation healing, restoration, sin-stomping promise to this escape from this junky world and go off to cloud-filled heaven version. It's the just sit tight gospel that I've talked to you about many times. Just sit tight until God comes and gets you like a mom who forgot her kid at the grocery store. Jesus is king, but not in this zip code. Or we just get sick of the waiting altogether. You just say, Jesus is king, but hey, I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of watching the hurt. And so instead we frantically get to work healing the world ourselves through social justice and better laws and better systems and better social safety nets. If any kingdom is going to come, it's up to us to make it happen. We have no king but us. And there's a problem with that because we are a part of the problem we are trying to solve, are we not? And so I think it goes without saying that the point at this point that neither of these two options are the story that scripture is telling us. Because the story that scripture is telling us is that God promised to send a rescuer to heal his broken creation. And that promise came in Jesus. Jesus came and he embodied the kingdom of God life by healing and restoring and resurrecting and forgiving. And when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't a defeat. In fact, it was the ultimate victory. Defeating sin and death at their own game, demonstrating that there is no pit so deep that God's love cannot reach. And so, and Jesus is resurrected three days later. It's like this big, fat, I told you so, sin and death, love wins. Jesus is king. It's like those Venn diagrams that we talked about two weeks ago. Remember, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus is breaking in. It's like they're starting to overlap. And in that weird gap space is where we experience the kingdom of God. But let's think about it a different way, a little less abstract than a Venn diagram. How about that? You know, we have this really unique system of government in the United States, don't we? A democracy, a republic. And there's lots of them in the world. We're not the only ones, but we're certainly unique. And one of the things that makes us kind of unique is that we have this really interesting gap in our election process. Now, when do presidential elections happen? What time? Beginning of November, all right? But when does inauguration happen? Almost the end of January. That is an almost a three-month gap before the new person takes office. It's kind of like this weird gappy space, right? And you know how it goes. Post-election, the old president is still president, but only kind of. What do we call him? Lame duck, right? It's the lame duck president. He's in the office. He can still make decisions. He can still take us to war or sign a treaty if he chose to, but he never does because everybody knows 
you're out of here, buddy. You're just keeping the seat warm for the next guy, right? And so usually the president who is sitting in office, who they've already been voted out or they've, their term has expired and the new guy is coming, but he's not there yet, they usually do stuff that kind of benefits them, right? Presidential favors and a bunch of pardons and all that fun stuff. Now, don't get all judgy. Both sides do it, okay? So calm down. But they, they don't really have a lot of power. They just do things that kind of benefit themselves and go about their business. And throughout this three-month gap, even though the president is a lame duck and the new guy hasn't taken office yet, the transition is already starting, right? As soon as those ballots are cast and counted, the process of transition has started from one leader to the next. And so while it may look like the old president is running the show, everybody has their eye on January, don't they? For that new thing that's coming, the old's on its way out and the new way is on its way in. And people are happy or sad, depending on which team they're rooting for, right? That weird election gappy space. Now imagine, use that metaphor for a second and help us to help us kind of imagine this, that we, we too live in a gap. You see, Jesus died and he gave himself over to death fully for the sake of the world and he was raised to new creation life. When that happened, the ballot was cast, the decision was made, Christ is king. Election's over, right? We know the winner but it's not Inauguration Day yet. The evil one, the kingdoms of this world, are still lounging in the office chair under the delusion that their reign will never end. And so the kingdoms of this world are wreaking havoc, doing things for their benefit, not caring who gets hurt in the meantime. Well, the image that has been so helpful to me in understanding this concept is the idea, the reality, I guess, of a chicken with its head cut off. Now, I have never personally beheaded a chicken. Has anyone here done that? Okay. Um, so apparently, if you chop their heads off, they really do run around. This is a thing, people. And so they're running around, they have no head, and they are making a real mess of the place, right? But here's the thing. Mess or not, the verdict is in. We're having chicken for dinner. There's no going back. And in the same way, the kingdoms of this world, evil itself, they are running around on borrowed time. But you know what? They got their head chopped off by that cross. And they can make a mess if they want to, but the verdict is in. Christ is king. The true king is coming, and there is no going back. You see, this transition of power is already beginning through God's people. As we live into our kingdom of God's citizenship, we say no more to the way of doing things in the kingdoms of this world. Instead, we walk the path of Jesus. So even though, even when it doesn't look like it, we know the old administration is on its way out. The days of the kingdoms of this world are numbered, and the kingdom of God is breaking in through the people of God. And Inauguration Day is on its way when Jesus will rightly be named King of all that is a great place for an amen. amen you know it's an amazing thing to imagine isn't it when the day finally comes and the kingdoms of this world and the evil that wreaked havoc and all of creation is finally dealt bam once and for all and they get what's coming you know it's like a stick it to the bad guys kind of moment no just, just me am i the only one with the dark streak of vengeance in the room <laughs> it's good to know okay but history will tell you 
that that is actually how things normally go. You see, when somebody is uh, an evil, corrupt regime is overthrown, you know, people get fed up. They get tired of the abuses and the injustices, and they want to bring down the bad guys. And they say, if only I was in power, it'd be different. If only I was in charge, things wouldn't be like this. It's kind of like in Russia, 1917. The czars were, you know, totally oblivious to the, yeah, the, the reality of the people. They're starving. They have no voice in their own life. They are tired of the czars. And so what do they do? They uprise, right? There's the great revolution, the people, the power of the people. But here's the thing. These same people who were so tired of being mistreated and ignored and controlled, when they got power, same thing happened again. They begin to mistreat and control and ignore the masses they claim to represent. The oppressed becomes the oppressor. The subjected becomes the subjector, right? But not so with the kingdom of God. As we anticipate this coming day of the Lord, as we anticipate this transition from the kingdoms of this world to the kingdom of God, it's not just going to be a new king, but the same old way of doing things. This is going to be a kingdom like we have never seen. It will not only be his kingdom, but it will be brought about in his way. You know, in John 18, we've already referenced it when Jesus is standing before Pilate. It's the night of his crucifixion, and Pilate does not want to be there. But the Jewish leaders have made this big stink. And they say, this guy wants to be the king. You need to do something about it. And so Pilate says, so, Jesus, Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says to him, my kingdom is not from this world. And like we've already admitted, when we first hear that, we immediately think, oh, it means some heavenly kingdom way off yonder, right? Way somewhere else that's not here. But that's not at all what Jesus is talking about, because listen to what he says next. He says, if my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. You see, he's not talking about location. He's talking about a quality, a type. My kingdom, the kingdom of God, it's not sourced from this broken place. It's not like what you people have going on with the power plays and the deception and the abuse of the poor and the powerless, the power hungry and the greed driven and the out for yourself kind of kingdom. It's not a worldly kingdom like the mess that you got going on. Because if it were, do you think my followers would just watch by while you arrested me? You know, yeah, Peter tried to throw a fit, but I put a stop to that. Because that's not how things go in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a kingdom ruled not by the love of power, but by the power of love. And it wasn't just words to win an election, was it? Jesus went all the way with his campaign promises, all the way to the cross, giving his life away, showing us what the kingdom of God was about. And so now here we are. With Jesus died and been raised, and the election day has declared him king. And so now we live in this gap. It's like December, always December, awaiting inauguration when it finally comes, awaiting the day when the kingdoms of this world will finally become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. Well, through the kingdoms, though, the kingdoms of this world may be raging around, literally like chickens with their heads cut off, making a mess of things, it's already a done deal. The king is coming, and we are called to live not by the playbook of the current administration. We are called to live by the playbook of the coming kingdom of God, that kingdom of God way of life when all things will be named rightly 
and the day of the Lord dawns brightly. And so in the meantime, what do we do as we are waiting, as we are waiting for our coming king? Well, what we do is we get to work. You see, we have been given a commission as emissaries of that coming kingdom to not only share that message of Jesus, but also to model his method. Doing kingdom work in the kingdom way. It's our commission to live toward that coming day, to live toward that new administration, to embrace the living way of that coming kingdom of God by modeling the life of Christ, giving our lives away for the sake of the world. The kingdom of God way of living. (laughs) But you know what? Sometimes it seems kind of small. In the face of, you know, I, every week I get up here and I, I, get, I have the privilege of preaching to you guys. And then I go home and I, you know, I, I turn on the news and I hear all the crazy things happening in this world. And I think, oh, I am I'm so small. I feel silly in the face of powerful empires, of kingdoms of this world that seem to carry the power of life and death in their hands. I feel, I feel powerless and I feel small, like the work that I have been given is nothing compared to the powers that surround me. I feel feeble in the face of the world's grief that I cannot mend, and I feel absurd in the presence of hurts and addictions that I can't heal. And then this breezed across my path today, or this week. It's a passage from the Talmud. It's a book of Jewish teaching. It says, Do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief but do justly now. Love mercy now. Walk humbly humbly now. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. And as I was chewing on that piece of work this week, I opened my mailbox and I found this. Any of you guys get this? It is the Nazarene Compassionate Ministries quarterly magazine, right? And they show every quarter, they say, this is what the Church of the Nazarene is doing to live out kingdom of God type stuff throughout the world. Acts of compassion and mercy. And this month's, this quarter's version was full of the stories of the hurricanes of Puerto Rico and the earthquake in Mexico and Texas and in, and in Florida and all the stuff. And you see, the Nazarene church, we, we were already there. We were already there doing our thing. And when the, the crisis happened, we just immediately responded. And there's these amazing stories of, of naked people being clothed and hungry people being fed and sick people being comforted and, and brought medicine and healing. But, you know, that, that wasn't the story that caught my eye. You see, the story in this book that just captured my heart was a story of a young girl in Ghana. Her name is Sumpresia. She's right there, right there in the colorful dress. And she comes from a family. She's from Ghana. And she comes from a family of 17 kids. And in her country, education is not free. And uh, education for girls is just really not valued. And so if they really want to go and their family is willing to let them go, they have to kind of earn their own way, make their own money for school fees and such. And so Sumpresia really wanted to go. And so from when she was very little, she would scrap together the money doing odd jobs to pay her school fees. Well, as she got older, it got more difficult, and she was a teenager. And older men started offering, yeah, I'll pay your school fees. But the price that they were asking was not something she was willing to pay. And so she said, out of desperation, she goes to the local Nazarene pastor and says, Pastor, I really want to go to school, but I don't have any money, and I don't want to go that route. 
and he said, let's talk to the DS, the district superintendent. And they go and they talk and he says, you know what, I have a Compassion Ministries fund. I'm going to pay for your school for one year, okay? And I'm going to give you two pigs. Kind of an odd back-to-school gift, if you ask me, you know? But for Sumpresia, it was the perfect gift because she was able to raise those pigs and to breed them and to sell them in perpetuity and pay for her school fees. She graduated. She got her education. It's a beautiful story. Cool story, right? But that's not where it ends. You see, she had her education. She had her way to a fuller life. She had escaped the teenage pregnancy and teenage marriage, and she could just go about her business. But Supresia knew she also had a commission, a calling, not just to share the message of Jesus, but to embody his method of giving his life away. And so she began to give her life away as she started the Nazarene Girls for Social Justice Club. Now, this girl was a bunch of, it was like 15 girls that gathered together. They created these opportunities for mentorship and support, and they would, they would partner with local churches for justice projects, and they would, they would take up love offerings to buy each other pigs so they could go to school. And what started as just 15 girls has mushroomed into hundreds of girls, clubs that have been breaking out all over in this area. And here's the thing. In the areas where the clubs are forming, the rate of teenage pregnancy and marriage has dropped from 90% to 20 That is kingdom of God living. It seems small to us, but it's not small to Sumpresia. It's not small to those 750 girls who have a way out of that life and have a way to say, this is what God has made me for. What can I do? That is kingdom of God life. That is sharing the message of Jesus and embodying his method of giving their lives away. That is living into the reality of the coming kingdom in the face of the messy kingdoms of this world with all their blustering and their boasting. There stands Sumpresia and a Nazarene pastor in her DS had said, "Uh uh-uh, not on our watch. The kingdom of God is coming and it's coming through the people of God. We say yes to living into the kingdom way. That is the power of love conquering the love of power. And so when the Son of Man, Jesus, comes in his glory, as Matthew describes in chapter 25, as the king comes to bring his rule and reign in its fullness, when Inauguration Day finally comes, he is looking for a people. He is looking for a people who have already been living into his administration, who have been living into the kingdom of God, the people who have been already leaning towards that kingdom, people who have received their commission to share the message and embody the method by giving their lives away. And this is what he will say. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with them, then he will sit on his throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. And then the king will say to those at his right hand, come You that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. 
Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now. Love mercy now. Walk humbly now. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are we free to abandon it. Well, these next few weeks as we enter into Advent, you will have the opportunity to live out that kingdom of God life in some small but really important ways through not curing, but ministering to the world's grief by helping kids of incarcerated people have Christmas. Kids whose lives have been torn apart by brokenness and sin. But you also get the opportunity to lavish love on some struggling teenage parents through our Bennett ministry. You know, we could say, you know what, that was not the right path. Why'd you do that? Why? That's where they are. And so that's where we're going to love them. That's what they need. They need to know the kingdom of God matters today in Idaho, not just some far off in the clouds place. And so we have the opportunity to be the kingdom of God people, the kingdom of God breaking in to the kingdoms of this world. Well, today we end our celebration of Christ the King Sunday by receiving communion of being reminded of Jesus' greatest gift to us, both the means of our salvation and the method of our obedience, which is full surrender. So hear the word of the Lord. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You will come forward to receive communion. Children are more than welcome, and the option in the middle will be gluten-free. Come and receive. Dear Jesus, we acknowledge that sometimes the wrong seems off so strong. And we give in to despair. But Lord, may we not forget that you are the ruler yet. That the verdict has already been decided on the kingdoms of this world. And you are king. And your reign is coming. And it is breaking in through the people of God as we seek to be faithful to that kingdom of God way of life. Lord, would you give us the strength to rely so fully on your Holy Spirit that we are not captured by despair, but we are eternal captives of hope because we trust that our King is coming and that you are already breaking in through us as we say yes to your way of living. Thank you for the precious gift of salvation both now and forever. And may we be your faithful missionaries with a message on our lips and a method embodied of giving our life away for the sake of the world. We love you. 
and we trust you, and with hope, we anticipate your day of coming. In the name of Jesus, we pray by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Well, let's stand. Let's conclude in celebration together. (laughs) Amen. Thanks be to God. And may that not be a song, may it be a reality. May God build his kingdom through our obedient service. Would you extend your hands to receive the benediction? Beloved, may you cling tight to the word that though the wrong